you're ready to talk about that i would like you to praise it because i uh, i've seen it twice i'm gonna tee off on it for a little bit and then i'm gonna back that up okay well uh walk that back excuse me okay and yeah just to close up the hell caesar though i was just gonna say and because you just compared it to burn after reading a little bit yeah please i i just think any even like something intolerable cruelty whatever is a kind of screwball element which is a little bit of hell caesar. I, I just think the comedy works better in that one for whatever reason and maybe it is because of the lighter tone rather than the darkness of Burn After Reading and some of the other movies. But yeah, so we cut to modern present day, 2018. Now we're doing Netflix here. So the the world has changed quite a bit since Blood Simple was released in 1984. But uh, it's The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. It is not a normal film. It's a, would you call it an anthology film, I guess? I mean, they have anthology shows like Black Mirror now, like... Fargo is anthology by season. Black Mirror is like by episode. This is a movie like that. I get. Is there other? I mean, there must be other films like this. I'm trying to think of what one would be. Can you think of any off the, off the dome? Oh, um, VHS. Those horror movies we were talking about. Oh yeah, you 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 bring that up all all the time. What am I thinking? Yeah. So yeah, okay. So that's one. I, I haven't seen it, but there's a couple of those. All right, yeah. So there, it's it's not a uh, an original concept, but I'll just give my. Uh, quick thought on it and then i'll let you tee off like you said so yeah so i think it's six different stories in there they're all kind of western based i i wouldn't even mind more of films being like this I, I did kind of like the anthology aspect i don't know if that's like you know with the internet with everything nowadays like it, it attention span i mean i did watch the whole thing start to finish but if you're not enjoying one as much you you know another another one's coming soon enough and I thought overall, I I only saw it the once, so I want to watch it again, but I liked it for the most part. I, I liked some of the stories more than others, but there there it had like all the kind of Coen Brothers tropes to me fit in there pretty well. There's like a lot of the violence, some more nihilistic than others. There was some pretty good comedy in parts. There is some good dialogue. Uh, some of them had a more uneasy nature, which you, which we didn't bring. I didn't really bring that up so far talking about Cohen's, but that's something I like too. And most of the filmmakers I like a lot, and like I like a lot of their work. I like kind of the uneasy tension throughout a lot of it that you get, which was present at certain points in this film. And there was kind of a metaphysical nature to some of the parts too which worked better for me in some parts than others. But yeah, before you get, give your thoughts here, I'll just say, so there was six stories, right? There was Buster Scruggs himself. There was the one with James Franco about hanging and all that. There was the one with Liam Neeson. Meal ticket is a call. Yeah, he's a impresario putting on these shows. Then there was the one with Tom Waits, where is a, a gold panner. I forget what that one's called. Something about gold was in the title, if I recall. Then there was... One, I think it was called The Girl Who Got Stuck. Uh, sh- not The Girl Who Got Shuck. Something like that, though. The Gal Who Got Rattled. The Gal, yeah. W- way more Western. The Gal Who Got Rattled with Zoe Kazan. That was 
a little similar in parts to True Grit. It, the characters didn't act the same, but... It's also the best... Uh, not a hot take, but it's also the best one here. No, I agree. That was... That and the Tom Waits were probably my two favorites. It ended with probably my least favorite, which was the Tyne Daily one where they're going. You find out, you know, spoiler, they're really dead, I guess. They're going to the beyond in a, in a carriage there. So those were the six, unless I missed one. I think I said them all, though. So your, uh, your pulpit now... Yeah, so I obviously, from this conversation, I hope that it is clear that I uh, I appreciate and I love the the works of Joel and Ethan Cohen as writers, as directors, as public entities. I like their films. I like the people who act in those films. I appreciate the themes that they work with. That being the inevitability of death, the pointlessness of existence, and the need for us as human beings to find something to do while we're existing. That said, this movie is a collection of six short stories, most of which I find entirely vapid, a complete self-suck, full of reference to themselves in a way that, despite the fact that I love most of the rest of their discography, is clearly most of the rest of their discography that I've seen I find absolutely abhorrent I find no tenderness for any of the broken people in these films in the way that I do in Louis Davis in the way that I do as I hope that I mentioned earlier the way that the camera seems sympathetic to the people that Anton Chigurh is about to like brutally viciously murder I find nothing redeemable in this Dan of Squalor and I think that it is a love letter to itself in a way that like while the Coens are brilliant filmmakers I find completely abhorrent tacky tasteless and boring wow tasteless even what what do you find tasteless necessarily it's a self-suck like every theme that they bring up in one of these chapters and each chapter has its own individual theme the larger theme of everything being you can't stop what's coming which is my major point. Like, they did this 11 years ago. That They did this 11 years ago to the furthest extent one can do this. I've already seen Fargo. I've already seen No Country for Old Men. I've now seen A Serious Man. This is what they do. And on the one hand, yes, they do this. We should just let them do this in new territory. On the other hand, they're taking so little time to build these stories and to love these characters. And I think that it really suffers from that. Can I ask, did you enjoy it on a level of just the pure entertainment level, some of it? Not looking any deeper. Once I got past that, and on a second viewing, there were bits of, like, filmmaking that stunned me. There were there were notes that I found truly delightful. And they're, they're great fucking filmmakers, and everything is a reference, everything that is a reference to themselves, once you catch those references, you do feel rewarded, and you do feel, or I felt rewarded, and I felt more interested but well, if I can just try to pare down your main criticism, seems like th- your point about they don't care for these characters, no tenderness. You said I think specifically like, that's your biggest criticism. It sounds like, or that's what affected you the most. My biggest criticism is that it is an unoriginal idea from people who are talented enough to be looking at more interesting territory. But yeah, and then otherwise, yes, there is no tenderness to the like for these characters yeah there's probably the most amount of that in the one you said you like the best which i think i like the best too the the zoe kazan one what and, and at the end she like everyone else in this terrible terrible world 
es- like especially the terrible, terrible artificial world that they've constructed, like fucking kills herself because she thinks that she's about to be like brutally raped and murdered. And I get it. Did you see that coming? When you th- look at the. Yeah, of course, of course. The second he handed her the pistol, I knew exactly how it was going to play out, which is not their fault. No, I mean, and just because something's predictable doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. I thought the acting was particularly good in this one, too. I I had no idea who the one guy was, like the guy who was going to marry her. I'd never seen that guy before, but he he did a really good job, I thought. Fuck, let me look him up. He's kind of a name. Is he? Okay, I don't don't know. But um, very naturalistic acting in that one, from him especially. And I, and the guy too, you know, the, the older guy too. Yeah, yeah. I guess I agree with you that they didn't. I, I agree with some of your criticisms, but when I said like, was it entertaining? I, I just kind of felt like, yeah, they're doing it as a self suck, like you said, a little bit. Uh, it's a little gimmicky, but if it's something I like, that doesn't necessarily bother me. And a lot of the elements in this of things that I liked from them before were here, so I liked it here too, kind of. I guess. Yeah, but I think the main thing is that I. I, d- I really did like the, the elements of it being short stories, how even the ones I wasn't enjoying the most, like, you go you move on to the next one. I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I just, yeah, I, d- I don't, we're not seeing eye to eye in this, I guess. Uh, yeah. Um, which I didn't think we were going to, but I guess I just don't know why, why you have such vitriol for it in this case. Yeah, his name's Bill Heck, by the way. He's been in a lot of things recently. I thought he was very good, too. Yeah, I've never heard of him. I was very upset by it because I have already seen Fargo. I've already seen No Country. I've now seen Serious Man. They don't need to keep doing this thing where they remind me that everything is terrible and good people will suffer uh, for no reason. Every P.T. Anderson, who's my favorite director and not someone to compare anyone to uh, because I'm, I'm pretty sure he's the best working director, not that I know what I'm talking about, Every one of his movies is a bit different. And there are P.T. Anderson-isms that you can identify in all of his things, specifically his writings, the plots and locales that he chooses. But they are not literally the same in theme and plot. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Fargo and No Country, but I don't think those are exactly the same as anything in this. Some of the themes, but... If one person in every one of these chapters had said the the phrase, you can't stop what's coming, you would have not, like, it wouldn't have been out of place. Yeah. It's just such a shame that they did something so unoriginal because their idea was to do a Western made out of other stories and all of those stories were love letters to themselves. It, it was really annoying to me. It was really annoying to me in a way that made me just absolutely furious and caused me to have to watch it a second time just to make sure I wasn't missing anything. And how dare this <laughs> fucking movie, I haven't even seen Moonlight once yet, make me watch it a second time just to make sure that I'm not crazy for liking for liking it less than I like other Cohen movies. Wait, you still you haven't seen Moonlight? I still haven't seen Moonlight. All right, Eric. I mean, some of this is a you problem, I think. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's like a movie. See, I, I, that's what I don't. I I don't share your attitude too. Like, if a movie really, do, I don't like. Like, I don't normally try to go back to it, especially not in quick succession, which is kind of what happened with a serious man for me. Well, I wanted to be able to talk about it coherently. Well, that makes sense too. Yeah, you know, we were gonna do this, but I mean, how you kind of feel the reaction you had with this the first time is. I would say if I remember back from, well, I guess eight years ago or whatever now, it's kind of how I felt about A Serious Man. And I guess we should... Really? A little bit. I mean, I I remember having a strong aversion to it at the time when I saw it. But but yeah, just to wrap up a, a little bit more Buster Scruggs. 
I will argue with you a little bit. I mean, there's some of the various stories weren't the same to me. Like, uh, just taking the first one off the bat, the one with the character Buster Scruggs in it, it was based on a couple of things, like a little bit of a joke on, like, the the Clint Eastwood, like, shoots everyone character. It also had, like, the musical element in there, which is kind of like Hail Caesar a little bit. And all that's really clever, and I really appreciated it. And the bit at the end of it, right before he's about to get gunned down, where he hears that guy uh, humming, where, like, no one but him has sang, except for, like, the sing-along, obviously. No one but him has had a melody um, in the entire 20-minute segment up until that point. And then the the black hat rider comes into town, and there's always going to be a young, younger, faster gun. And the way that that actor plays it, where he's just, like, fucking mesmerized by the song that the other man is, like, humming... Yeah. That was a really beautiful moment. There's that bit where it's shot from the inside of his guitar, which, like, every film school student has thought to do, but been like, no, no, you know what? That's too pretentious. And somehow it works for the Coens. Like, I mm. love lots of things about this movie. Uh, it yeah. just... That was like a Breaking Bad style shot, I would say, the inside the guitar one. They used to do those weird angles on that show. Like that. You know what? I'm right. I, I, I think you're right, actually. <laughs> We will not credit them for that. I don't know if they did the guitar one specifically, but yeah, that I thought about Breaking Bad when I saw that shot. And and your point about, I didn't even pick up on that when you just said that. That's very uh, interesting, like, that he was the first other person to sing, or what, what was it, or have a melody, or... Right, right. He was the first in that segment to carry a tune other than Buster Scruggs himself. Uh, and just the way that actor plays it is delightful and, and stunning. Yeah, see, I didn't even pick up on that. That guy's not even an actor. I saw he's like a he's like a, a real country singer, I think. Oh wow, I don't know that. Uh, I don't know who he is. Yeah, no, I remember looking it up because um, I almost thought he looked kind of like James Franco. Actually, it was in the next segment, but I looked it up when I was watching, like to see who it was. And it, yeah, it's, he's some country singer. Like I don't think he does a lot of acting or anything. But so that's interesting. Yeah, that that you said he's one of the you really liked his acting performance, which I don't disagree with. I liked um, Tim Blake Nelson a lot in that one too. I found it funny, pretty funny. Yeah, it's amusing. This this James Franco one, I didn't like as much, but I still... Yeah. I still found some funny parts in it. It, it still was working with the humor, mostly. And you, what you're saying about something being inevitable, I can see it from one perspective, like he eventually gets hung anyway, whatever. Um, and I thought it was funny when he says, you know, like, second or first time or whatever. It was a funny joke. First time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the meme, too. Is that a meme? Yeah, yeah, it's become a meme. James Franco grinning, second panel, some other, like, terrible shit happening. Third panel, James Franco saying, first time? Oh, yeah, I haven't seen that. So I guess you could say that it's it goes back to that inev- inevitability theme, or however you pronounce that word, but I didn't necessarily pick up on that too much just watching it. And I always like Steven Root, he was in that one too. He's always gives funny performances. He was the guy covering in pans or whatever. Yeah. The Liam Neeson, I'm just kind of going through these each one time again. The Liam Neeson one wasn't one of the better ones, I guess. And that one upset me the most because it is... That was the most dark, for sure. Well, and it has absolute contempt for its characters. I, well, I guess. That one didn't work as well. You know, it, it wasn't as entertaining, at least. But it was kind of like a slice of life sort of thing in some regard. I mean, I could, I could actually see something like this happening back then you know like someone just making money off whatever sure yeah i mean the guy the the armless legless guy is kind of compared to like the dancing chicken or whatever the chicken does like the chicken is cheaper so he is kept like it's a yeah i mean it's an allegory for the state of labor in 2018 i just it is 
so bitter and cruel as to be useless to me. Well, that's that's another thing. Like, so some some people like there there's like filmmakers that make purely bitter films or cruel films, and like some people are into that. It's just kind of what you're into, I guess, at a certain point. Yeah. And I don't want to have my hand held. It's just like you've you specifically the Cohen brothers have done this before, and you've not changed in eleven years. Yeah, yeah, I feel you a little bit on that one. Twenty one, twenty two. Now then, there was, but again, they do their tone does shift a little bit from certain films to darker later. It does, even if it keeps up similar themes. Then there was the Tom Waits one, which was was more on the metaphysical side. I thought, yeah, a lot of good kind of camera shots and stuff in this one. I liked. Yeah, it was beautiful. I liked his performance a lot, yeah. And then I don't ultimately know the point of it, I guess. I mean, he gets shot in the back, but he lives. And, like, is it, like, some point about work ethic or something? I don't really know. Or just, like... Uh, I don't know. What I took away from that one was he has despoiled that ballet. And there, it, it will never go back to the way it was. Even though the owl at the end and the deer and the squirrel, re- like, return to it. I don't know if there's an actual squirrel. Interesting, because I could say, I could even argue the opposite, maybe, that he belongs in, as part of it, and, like, that's why the guy that tried to rob rob him didn't get away with it and ended up dying instead. Right, but the end, when he's, like, loading down his donkey with gold, he's just, like, shouting at the valley, like, I'll be back. It is a bit of a metaphor for how mankind ruins everything valuable to mankind. Okay, I, I guess I can see it now that you're saying it, but when I was watching that one, I didn't, I didn't really get that from how... The tone of it was, I guess. Fair, fair. But I think it's because of how it was shot a little bit. I could also be talking out of my ass. No, I mean, it, it makes sense logically what you're saying, but I just, just from like the way it was filmed, everything, and kind of the metaphysical nature, like I said, I, I, I don't know if that's what they're intending or not. Then the one we already talked about a little bit, I mean, it, it was the uh, the girl who got, sh- who got rattled. The dialogue in this was the most Cohen-y probably, and I already compared it a little bit to True Grit. The twist was kind of obvious, but I did kind of like it at the same time. Yeah, I'm glad that they did it if they were going to tease it. Yeah, it, it was kind of cool. Like the th- the part with the the natives like attacking them, like falling into the gopher holes or whatever. It was like kind of an interesting concept. I thought that I would re- never really thought would have thought of before. Can we talk about the natives? Yeah, uh, yeah. What about it? It's just like a super like upsetting retrograde like depiction of Native Americans as as a harm that must be weathered. It gives absolutely no context, which, like, the Coens could just be trolling. Like, I, I know that they're probably not racists overtly. But, like, they've done this too many times with the, like, Korean father in A Serious Man. You don't have to depict people that way. Well, I don't know if... Well, the Korean father and does him being Korean have make a difference in that film? I'm more... It just treats him a little racistly. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, it's a, I, I don't think that's the same, at least, as, like, depictions of... I mean, it does the South Park thing where, like, you can't be mad at me because I'm calling out the difference between that culture and ours. I'm not actually a Nazi. Which, like, South Park is its own total different thing. But I feel like... I don't know. I feel like it was ill-advised. Go on. Sorry. Well, uh, just going back to the, the point about the Native Americans, I agree they don't get character... Or, or they're just there to be the villain, essentially, of the film, but... When people say certain films are race, have racist depictions of Native Americans, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, I think. I do think that they can be villains in, like, a story, or antagon- and maybe villains not even the right word, like, they can be antagonists 
in a story and they and you don't always have to show both sides of everything like have a scene back at their i mean if if the whole sto- if it was a long form like two hour movie about a conflict between people going on the Oregon trail and this you know whatever the Native American tribe is in this case attacking them, yeah, then maybe I would want to see a little more gray area I would want to check in with like their group or get some more character from them but in a short story like the, even like in the James Franco one there they came in and like killed them you know the natives came in and killed the people hanging him and that's how he got away the first time kind of yeah like in that one so the, in that case too they're both kind of a plot device so I, I guess I could get the criticism in that respect but I, I personally don't think it's racist to show a war group of Native Americans in a film because there was I mean that was not that's not made up necessarily like there were whether who's right or wrong or, or is the issue regardless I know it's about representation too, but right. And this movie exists now. It doesn't exist in 1866 when, like, you, the the settler, the colonizer, did not do anything to upset these Native Americans directly. Like, you're just following orders. You're just like following capitalism west. But like, yeah. But can can you respect the audience more to like say that like people understand this already a little bit because it is 2018 at the same time too? Can you respect the directors more? to have them make it less ambiguous that they are siding with the cowboys against the Indians. Assume that they know better than to do this. But again, you're arguing that it's something that just shouldn't be done, and I I just really don't agree, I guess. At least in principle. Well, like, they're not people. They're the unnameable evil that, like, exists in the other movies. Like, they're the... I forget the man's name. It starts with an H. They're the murderer from Fargo. They're Anton Chigurh. Like, they come out of nowhere to end lives. They're not, like, real people. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, and you're saying that's a retread. They're the tornado from the end of Simple uh, Serious Man. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't even know. I guess we should get to Serious Man. We've been going for a, a little while here. We're just talking about... Yeah. Let's just talk about whether you or not you think that uh, the sixth chapter works. The stagecoach in the hotel. Oh, then, so yeah, we, we got to get to that one. Yeah, we get stuck on this one here. So the final one was probably my least favorite. I didn't mind it. I don't know. I mean, it, it just wasn't as good, I, I thought. It was a little more like a play, I guess, kind of. Um, it mostly took place in the one, in the coach or whatever. Each character gets a little monologue, kind of. The one guy, like the prospector guy or the guy, like the, the heck guy, he was... Uh, pretty funny like his whole thing i was laughing at a little bit and i get the i guess i get the point of it overall but yeah i I didn't like it as much i weirdly didn't mind that compared to all the other things i mean it was a little more different i guess than if that if one of your main criticisms was they're biting off themselves too much or whatever what's your take on like the the two guys across from the three older people that like one of them is what's his name you know from in bruges and all and that um uh, Brendan Gleeson my guy yeah singing and all that they're supposed to be like the bounty hunters or whatever but are they really like angels of death or whatever you know I guess but yeah I the reading that I came away with which is absolutely wrong and someone will correct me later the reading that I came away with is that they like are what they say they are they're bounty hunters they're there to drop the bodies off on death's doorstep and this like metaphorical slash metaphysical journey that everyone else is on they know they can't give too much away Mm-hmm. But they have a literal, like, body on the top of the thing, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're bringing dead people to hell. Yeah. But the people are, like, Ty and Daly and other two are dead, right? That's the 
that's the kind I of I think so, yeah. There's, like, a literal dead people, and then there's that, like, it it's kind of gets mixed up a little bit. That's why I was kind of confused. I mean, maybe they are angels of goddamn death. Maybe they are. My My impression was that they were, like, living people who existed partly in that world and partly in ours. Interesting. Yeah, I don't I don't know if that works. I mean, it, it could. I guess it doesn't. Yeah, it could. You can some of these things you can interpret either way. Well, the ambiguity is a thing that like the Coens thrive on in certain situations. Right, right. Let me tell you, buddy. There's a faster gun coming over yonder when tomorrow comes. Let me tell you, buddy. And it won't be long Till you find yourself singing your last cowboy song Yeah, but anyways, maybe I'll pick up on more stuff in, in all of them when I rewatch it, when I do the Cohen Zone. But let's get into a serious man here. So again, this was, I rewatched it today. I remember having an adverse reaction to it the first time I saw it. And watching it again today, I I didn't dislike it as much as I did the first time, but I definitely pretty rapidly picked up on what what I didn't like about it the first time too but let me get to you you watched it for the first time what yesterday so let me let's give your opinion on it first yeah I saw it completely fresh of itself but not fresh of like the Coen brothers of it came out nine years ago 2009 so yeah so between No yeah. Country and uh Hail Caesar no it was between uh True Grit and Burn After Reading it was in the thing when they, they released four movies in four years. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, cool. Burn After Reading, like I said, that it, they did two in a row here that I did, had an, an averse negative reaction to, I guess. And this movie seems entirely theirs. In a way that they tried to make... Yeah. I don't know. It had time to live in the themes of nothing is happening for a reason. Why are you questioning everything? You're going to die the way that you live your life is a reflection upon yourself and not upon the whims of, you know, any other all-powerful being. That great line when the dentist is telling the story about the goy with the, uh, like, Hebrew writing in his teeth, and he's just like, what about the goy? What do you mean? What about, what about him? His part in this is done, you know? I think that it is a really, really beautiful meditation on just, like, the futility of trying mm -hmm. to find the answers to anything. In a way that makes kind of any other attempt at that by the same director moot. Well, okay. I mean, I do agree with that's the, the main theme there, the futility. But what did you just say a minute ago about... Damn it, I should have... I was trying to remember something you just said to comment on, but now I'm blanking. The dentist thing? Before that, oh, the dentist set piece was very cohen though. That was like the most... It's extremely cohen and it went on forever. It was the rabbi I was telling the story about the dentist, right? Not, not him as... It, yeah, um, but, oh, it was something about, well, it seemed like a contradictory point to what you just said about the futility. Maybe not contradictory, but what were you saying was, like, the theme of the movie? Yeah, so, like, there's no point in scraping for meaning in anything from an external source. Just keep asking for help and for credit from external sources. Uh, you will not derive your own meaning, and then you will fucking die. And there's not, and the God has nothing to do with it then, or there's no... Yeah, and, and like, God, uh, and I forget what they call God in this. Hashem, I think, is the, that's the, the Yiddish word. Hashem yeah. has absolutely nothing to do with the meaningful life that he's trying to live. Um, and and it's, it's, it's a thing that he turns back on when things start to fall apart, uh, because he cannot recept, accept responsibility or the fact that no one is responsible uh, for his own suffering. 
Okay. Well, the main, yeah, so I have a couple things to say about it, but I think the main reason I don't like the movie much, even though it's very well shot, way more so than like Lady Killers or something, and I do think they cared about this story a lot, like they... A lot. But I just find, I think I found, well, films like that feature heavy religious themes aren't really my bag to begin with, you know, like they're, they're, they're usually never my favorite, so that's part of it. Well... Go on, but it was about the pointless and inanity of, like, pushing, like, a religious lens onto the events of your life. There was mixed messages about that, I think, a little bit, which I'll go into in a second. But but also, the I think the main reason overall I didn't, like, I, I think it's kind of a hard watch, to my in my opinion. Like, the characters are just, too many of the characters are too unlikable. Really? I think that it loves its characters in a way that, like, I've been upset at Buster Scruggs for not doing. Yeah, whether it does or not is not my point. I personally, as a viewer, were, was annoyed too much by a lot of them. Like, oh, that's fair. I found it too unpleasant. Like, because Coen brothers do a thing a lot where, right, one character, usually the protagonist or whatever, the person you're identifying with in the scene, they're talking to someone else that the other person's being weird, or maybe not even weird, but, like, they're acting in a way that you in real life, people have acted toward you, and you're, like, relating to it. Like, yeah, that thing is annoying. That is, like something people say do you know what i'm saying like yeah yeah that there's a lot of that in this movie but it, it was annoying me more than entertaining me and and just like so like michael stuhlberg is the actor he's the main actor i love this guy like i usually like him in everything and, and and not that i disliked him in this but like it's just hard to watch his character just bad shit just happens to him the whole time like it's no and i think that's what i disliked him the most about it the first time I saw it too I just found it too unpleasant kind of like everything that's happening really but about the religious theme thing and you're you're saying I agree like it is it does seem to be saying that there is no point or whatever you can't control it all that sort of thing yeah I mean it holds religion in complete contempt maybe but I mean I, I do feel like like I said before mixed me- I do feel like there's a little mixed message the way the film's set up then because you have the whole opening scene cold open kind of thing with with the Tibic. Yeah. And I don't know if I'll ask you in a second what you think the point of that was, but that was kind of setting up to me that they, that they're saying the film does kind of believe in this sort of thing. And like, is it then that like the family is, is that supposed to be like his family still works family like years back? Like now they're cursed or something, whether they're cursed cause they killed the woman killed the guy and he was a real guy or cause he wasn't Tibic or, or whatever. Uh, and cursed him either way because then everything bad's just happening to him and i think that ties home with the ending which shows like the impending tornado right he gets a call from his doctor saying there's problems probably whatever when it sets it up with that kind of bookends is that really saying that things are meaningless and religion means nothing i don't know yes because we're like we will never truly know whether like and, and and the whole point of not connecting that first scene to the rest of the movie in any way Uh, was to make you wonder. And that's, like, the space that the movie lives in. We'll never really know whether, like, we're being cursed or whether this is just how life is. And you you will cling to any alternative solutions that, like, you can find. You will ask as many rabbis as you can possibly track down. But there's no answer to why you're suffering. You're just suffering. But but if that's the case, then, which I don't disagree, that that could be it... I think they just laid it on way too thick in this film. Like, too heavy-handed, especially with that tornado and everything. You know what I mean? Oh, interesting. I loved that tornado. I was split apart by that last scene, um, and I really liked it. Okay. So, overall, you liked the, liked the film a lot, it sounds like. Yeah, I, I really did. 
All right. I mean, I have a couple. I wrote some notes on it when I was watching it today, so I'm going to go through a couple of those, too. Yeah. Well, all right. So, like, about what I was saying about the annoying characters. So, the two, the two characters that were the most annoying were... Well, the brother is played by Richard Kind, right? Who is, like... His kind of whole career is, like, playing annoying guys, so... He's he's good at it, but it, he's too good sometimes. Like even uh, he's on Curb Your Enthusiasm too. He plays Larry's like cousin or mm-hmm, something. Mm-hmm. He's most notable to me for like being a hypochondriac in several episodes of Scrubs. Okay, well he he's uh, he's in that Pixar movie too, which he he gives a great performance in as the uh, an, an imaginary friend. I, I know that I remember him from that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But part I think part of the reason that's good is because you don't see his face. He's just a guy that just like annoys me when I look at him type of thing. He acts too crazy. I mean, I know that there is a point of it. Like, it was just more of the of Stuhlberg's. Like, what what is Stuhlberg's name in the movie? I'm, even though I just saw it, I'm blanking now. Arthur. Arthur. Okay, it's more of his bad luck, everything, or his hardships is his brother. But I didn't particularly like watching those any of those scenes. Oh, I'm sorry. The brother's name's Arthur. Uh, yeah, that's I forget right. his name actually. Well, anyway, the the name I do remember a lot is Cy Abelman because it's pretty fun to say. Yeah. And that was this actor, or that, that character's played by this actor named Fred Melamud, who's a good actor also. But like, he does the thing, and other roles I've seen him in too, where he also like anno- he just plays characters that are so annoying that you're like, I get it. That's the point, maybe in some of his roles, but like it's just like ah, I like don't like this guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. The way he talks to Stuhlberg when he's like brings the wine up, basically he's just taking his wife, right? And they do it in like whatever way, like that's proper, I guess, or whatever. But like he just comes over with the wine, like the way, just the way it talks, like that, that like makes my skin crawl. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't know if that's the reaction everyone has to it, but. I think that it is. Like, let's leave the lawyers out of it, apples and oranges. Like, that that speech isn't supposed to be heartwarming. Yeah, but then this whole thing, like, the serious man is based on him, kind of, like, or at least that's the quote is about him in the movie, like, the title. Well, because it's another external source that the title character, uh, like, tries to force his life into the shape of and wonders why he's failed. Yeah. And then, all right, what else did I write? Oh, I wrote again about the, the cold open. We talked about that, though. And the opening credits, this is just kind of a side note, but I thought those looked atrocious. Do you remember what they were? Yeah, they were just like glowing orangey letters on a black background. Yeah, they they looked like they were from like a PowerPoint or something. This movie came out in 2009. I did. I thought that was a huge misstep there. I don't. That didn't seem calling to me at Can all. Can I give you a note about the end credits that I did not myself come up with? So I've heard on a couple different podcasts, this guy who wrote a book about the Coen brothers, it's called, like, This Really Ties the Movie Together. And he mentioned on a podcast that he did with uh, The Ringers, uh, Sean Fennessy and Chris Ryan, how in the end credits, after after that great joke of a final shot, in the end credits, they also cast the Hebrew actor, or Yiddish, well, however we call those people, I'm very, very sorry, that actor who played the priest in the very beginning scene as Dibbit question mark. Oh, yeah, okay. Not a priest, definitely. This is Judaism we're talking about. Right, right. I don't think the guy who is the, the questionable Dybbuk... Yeah, that's a good little note in the about the credits, but I don't think he was supposed to be a holy... a rabbi or anything anyway, like... No, I think he... I, my reading was that he clearly was, like, a demon. Okay, but I'm just saying, like, as the person... I don't think he was supposed to, because you called him a priest, but, like, I don't think he was supposed to be any religious figure, I'm saying. Oh, I think that he was supposed to have been a rabbi, but, like, I don't know that faith well enough to say, based on context. Yeah, I don't remember. I mean, we saw a lot of rabbis in the movie, but it was in 
what the 60s. So that's the other big note I have. I wrote reason for period set in question mark. I mean, we kind of going through their filmography, I guess I didn't, wasn't really realizing just how many, especially their more recent movies are period pieces. But I didn't completely get the point to set this in the late 60s. Other than the only thing I could think of was that um, that's probably, I guess, when the Coens were growing up then. So they wanted to do that. And it's about their, I think they're Jewish too, right? So it's about their faith and stuff. It's probably some of their experiences in it a little bit. Yeah, it might be as simple as that, honestly. Yeah, I guess it could be, but I just didn't really, I didn't think it added that much to the, the film. Um, and it's not like in the Western ones where, yeah, the speech patterns are different, so it makes more sense. The speech in this was mostly, it was fairly normal, but it was a little more of how, I guess, the um, the Jewish kind of back and forth, or the way, you know, like, even some would be kind of stereotypical. Like, so I guess that was the thing with this one, but... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't, so then to kind of piggyback on that note, since it was, I think, maybe as simple as when they were growing up, I, kind of, I think I would prefer a movie with the son as like the main character or a movie about kids rather than the the adults here kind of adults i don't know why i said adults i hate when people say that uh the adults here probably my favorite one of my favorite scenes in the movie was kind of the bar mitzvah scene at the end and like how they're showing it from the son's perspective versus stuhlberg who's like very like touched and everything not realizing his <laughs> son's like high on weed and whatever and then the rabbi that he's trying to get been getting to talk to the whole time talks to the son and just quotes like the jefferson airplane song so i guess if there wasn't a a period setting they would have to update that that song which which is a good song but. oh yeah 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 do you get what i'm saying at all like i i kind of thought it would be yeah yeah i hear you i think that it would have been a completely different movie from any other character's perspective uh but yeah i hear you i mean yeah it's probably true but i guess i guess i just wanted a different movie is what i'm saying that's fair I really like it. Okay. Yeah, I kind of thought you would, especially when you said you liked Lou and you told me before that you liked Lou and Davis so much. And I liked Lou and Davis better than this, but they both have a depressing kind of tone to me. It might just be a different of opinion because it sounds like you're pretty depressed by, for whatever reason, by a lot of Buster Scruggs, which I didn't feel, but... Yeah, yeah. But what your criticism about caring about its characters, you, you thought this film did care about them more i mean apart from the main character who gets shit on a lot did you feel like that was the case with other characters like it it has so much respect for them or what anything like that yeah i think it was i think it was tender toward him uh and to sid abelman and to the son get it right great name Cy abelman i'm sorry and even to um fagel the, the the beefy kid who always chases his son but never catches him, like Charlie yeah. fucking Brown. I think it had more heart than Buster Scruggs did. And that's why it doesn't piss me off that it runs the same theme back that they would do again 11 years later, 7 years later, 9 years later. There we go. Yeah, I just, I, I didn't get it as much. I mean, I do, it's hard to argue because I do think this movie meant, it seemed like it meant more to them than some of the other ones. And they relate to this character in some way, I feel like, are some of the characters in the film, The Sun, probably, anything like this. But with that meshed with the theme of nothing matters, whatever, it just doesn't, to me, it doesn't work as well. I don't know. Having, like, characters you you care about so much, if you do, I'm saying, or that they, the filmmaker cares about, then just putting it, isn't that just more abject nihilism to put them in this scenario, like... And which is fine, I guess I, I don't mind it in some respects, but if I'm getting a story like that, I'd rather have a 
a Western shoot 'em up thing than a middle class like Jewish family in the sixties, like having their troubles or whatnot. I don't know. Uh, that's fair. I think it's just if if I'm taking it from that um, position, that's just more of what I what I'd want, or maybe a, a coming of age story in this setting. If it has to be a setting like more so than a depressed dad doesn't have answers, whatever type of thing. Yeah, yeah, like a one year situation. Oh, oh yeah, man. I guess. I mean, I still want it to be Coney, like, and I still, I don't know. I, I, I just thought those, those scenes were a little better. I did think one of the other funny kind of Cohen scenes was when he comes home, Stuhlbarg comes home when Sai Woman has died and doesn't know what happened yet, and the how the how his two kids are acting about like so nonchalant about it, not caring, like unaffected. Hey. You gonna move back in? <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. Like, fix the TV or whatever. That, that was probably one of the better scenes to me, too. But again, involving the, the kids. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and that, that neighbor, uh, she's pretty pretty foxy. Yeah, yeah, very pretty. But, uh, yeah. So, like I said, I, I liked it. I didn't have the, the super reverse negative reaction to it that when I saw it at the time. And again, I don't know. I can't remember exactly why that was. But, yeah, overall, it's. I, I thought it was just too too unpleasant for me this this particular one not not my cup of tea that's right that's right but again it is critically pretty liked i think if i remember i think so yeah that's why i tried to watch it instead of miller's crossing uh is because it was newer first of all Mm -hmm. um and also because it was newer's not better weirdly beloved yeah i mean miller's crossing is loved too i think it's just not when this when a serious man came out it was already the age of the internet with the hot takes and everything like that as well. So yeah, yeah. But you need to watch Mother's Crossing. You need to watch Blood Simple. Um, all that you should watch the whole the whole uh, run of films. I would say, and I plan to rewatch a lot of them. Well, we we've, we've talked for quite a while here, um, so I guess we should wrap up this edition of movies are relevant. Hopefully, people have listened this long. But uh, yes, sir. I think we talked about some interesting stuff and i am i i do kind of want to do a whole uh podcast based on on their work now just because they have i mean they have eight i think i counted 18 films they're all could be interesting to talk about in one way i honestly probably wouldn't remind watching any of them really so you know even lady killers so yeah yeah uh, maybe it's something i'll do in the future but we will uh we'll be back in the future with some more movies are relevant episodes. We get we got to do. Um, Buster Scruggs might be in the competition for some of these Oscar awards. I have a feeling. So um, since you're not on the committee, especially, so we got that one out of the way. Kind of talking about the, the Coens in general, but some of these other award bait type of movies, I think we'll probably want to talk about right down the line here. Yes, sir. So uh, look out for those, and certainly if you're an NFL fan, if you're listening to this, you probably like sports and stuff since you wouldn't have found this otherwise since that's what we normally talk about Mr. Relevant Niffle NFL podcast we'll uh, check out some of our recent episodes with that some good stuff there you can hear about Eric crying in Little League and how he relates to Colt McCoy on a recent episode that was a gem of a story go check that out and uh, we'll have more of those in the future it's layers here we're doing layers that's right. That's right. All right. Any any closing uh, things you want to say, Eric? Uh, no. Just uh, everybody be better. Just be better. Including you, Collins. Be better. Especially you. Even if you're great, keep reaching for the top. Try to better yourself every time. Right. Yes. Life does have some meaning, maybe. Well, we don't know. But anyway, uh, do subscribe to Brooklyn Rebound Network for more podcasts like this and others. 
And until next time, we're out of here. Peace. Bye. When they wrap my body in the bin sheet And they take my six arms, pull the boots from my feet Unsaddle my pony, she'll be itching to roam I'll be halfway to heaven under horsepower of my own Yippee-ki-yay, he shouts and he sings When a cow